Good morning. Please be seated. Let us begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll come to Matthew chapter 11 that was just read, and we go through it together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us today to hear your word, and help us to come to Christ to find rest. In his name we pray. Amen. Shrek was the name of a sheep in New Zealand who ran away from his shepherd. Having escaped the farm, Shrek hid in a cave for six years. And in those six years, his wool grew and grew and grew, and he grew about 27 kilograms of wool on him. Now, if you Google Shrek the sheep, and don't do that now, you will see a picture of him. And he looks like a large cotton ball with something just vaguely sheep-like sticking out from the sides. Now, when he was finally discovered in the mountains by his shepherds, after six years of running away, he was unrecognizable as a sheep. The first thing the shepherd did was pin back the wool so that he can even see to walk properly. You see, Shrek found freedom for six years, but that did not lead him to his well-being. As much as sheep may want his freedom, the sheep actually needs a shepherd in order to shear its wool, to take care of it. And the sheep needs the shepherd, even if that means not having freedom, but being under the yoke of the shepherd. We too are like lost sheep who have gone astray. And our passage today reminds us that we need the yoke that Jesus puts on our necks for our own good. So let's come to the passage and see what it teaches us today. Now, the sermon can be broken into three parts. In the first part, Jesus reveals something about who he is. And he makes an offer, inviting people to come to him for rest. Then, in the second part, we see Jesus having an encounter with the Pharisees in the grain field, where he expounds a bit more on what does it mean that he offers rest. And in the third part, we see him having an encounter at the synagogue where he proves that what he has been saying is real as he demonstrates the powers that he has. So we will see today how these three things fit together to teach us something important about Jesus that we needed to be reminded of. Or maybe for some of us to even discover for the first time. So with that, let's come to our first part. Chapter 11, verse 25 to 30. Now previously we have seen that despite Jesus going around from city to city preaching the gospel message of the kingdom which calls for repentance and faith, they did not believe. Even though Jesus was doing mighty works. So Jesus warned them of the coming day of judgment that will fall on them because of their unrepentant hearts. So our passage today now picks up from there and we see Jesus praying to God in response to this mass rejection. And interestingly, he prays in the form of a declaration of thanksgiving in verse 25. And here, he gives thanks to God who has hidden all things, sorry, who has hidden things from the wise and understanding and revealed them instead to little children. 
Now, this isn't Jesus saying that wisdom and understanding is a bad thing. So please don't go around telling people, hey, don't study the Bible, don't learn theology, huh? in case you become wise and then God hide the truth of the gospel from you. Right? That's not what he's saying here. Rather, he's speaking, in a sense, sarcastically here because he is pointing out these people who have heard the gospel and rejected it because they think they know better. They believe because of their learning and their wisdom, they knew how to enter the kingdom. And they believe because of that, that there's no need for them to come to Jesus and his gospel of the kingdom. So this label of wisdom and understanding here is used to point to a false wisdom, a wrong understanding. One that is not rooted in true wisdom, which comes from the word of God. The word of God itself bears witness to Jesus. Yet they ignore it, thinking themselves to be wise, and they become fools. Think of people like the Pharisees. They saw Jesus, they saw his miracles, but instead of going back to the scripture that does proclaim the coming of the kingdom with signs and wonders, in their wisdom and understanding, they pridefully judge Jesus, not fit to be Messiah. And they rejected him. And so to these people, blinded by the reliance on the understanding and judgment of these eternal things, God hid the truth of the gospel. Instead, God revealed this truth to little children. Now, these are literally not little children, but it describes the people who came, who saw, who believed when Jesus proclaimed the message of the gospel and demonstrated the truth of his message with powerful signs and wonders. So this is to say that they came trusting in Jesus in the same way a child will trust someone that they know, easily taking things by faith. And it is this simple faith, a childlike faith, that is being commended here. Now to them, God has revealed the truth. And because of that, they are now able to put their faith in the gospel that Jesus proclaimed. And this is not their own doing, it's God's gracious will, we learn from verse 26. Salvation comes from God by his will. Then, Jesus goes on, to make these three amazing claims in verse 27 that actually reveals his identity. First claim, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. Now Jesus claims here that he has been given all things, all power, all authority. Which means Jesus is the heir, the inheritor of all things. Which means he is the Lord of all things. And simply from here, we, we learn that Jesus is no mere man or teacher. He is the one who inherits the very kingdom of God that he's preaching, that he's calling people into. It's his kingdom. That's why he's calling you into it. Second claim, no one knows the Son except the Father. And in this statement here, we see Jesus implying, actually, he's more than a mere ordinary human. Now, the term known here is used in a context, not merely, oh, I know this person, I know that person. It's talking about being united by nature and through that union, having 
a true relationship with a person that reveals their self. Right? It's about having knowledge of a person in a personal, intimate manner, which is hidden from others. So in that sense, Jesus is claiming here that he is united to the Father in such a manner. And since nobody during that time can make a claim, oh, I am united to Jesus in this way, I'm equal in nature to Jesus, the implication then is there's actually no one who knows and can reveal the Son to others apart from the work of the Father who reveals. Third claim, no one knows the Father except the Son and those who the Son reveals the Father to. Jesus claims here, nobody comes to the Father except through him. No wise man, no guru, no scientist, no other religion can lead you to the Father. Only Jesus can lead you to the Father. And so even as we comprehend the amazing three things that he's revealed here, Jesus goes on straight from there to point forward to why he's saying these things. So having revealed he is the only one who can bring people to the Father, in verse 28, then Jesus goes ahead and gives an invitation to come to him. So that all who labor, who is heavily laden, can come to him to find rest. And this rest here, it is talking about this seizing of our striving to be right with God and actually being right with God. It is about having a peace that comes when you truly know the Father so that we no longer then scramble around madly trying to earn our salvation. And friends, this is the peace, the rest that Jesus offers to all those who are weary and tired of trying to be worthy of God. Now those who are wise and claim to have an understanding, like the Pharisees for example, they have been heaping on burdens on the people. They add on requirement after requirement on the people to fast, to give offerings to the temple, to practice ritual washings and cleansings, to avoid mixing with people who they claim to be unclean. The list will go on and on. And as you struggle to do all these things, seeking a relationship with God becomes a heavy burden. It becomes a chore that chokes out joy. And the people under this oppressive weight of, of legalism, of seeking self-righteousness, are slowly being crushed by their own religious observations. And if you feel that drawing near to God is a burden, that there is no joy, as you seek to serve God, then perhaps you too are heavily laden and burdened. Now, these heavy burdens that's laid on them, they do not bring comfort because even as you do all these things, if you're honest, you will see, right, that you still struggle with your sin and your shortcomings. And all it will reveal to you is that try as hard as you can you cannot come to God and be right with him. So Jesus, knowing this, 
comes to the people, this, this broken people, and with gentleness, with the heart of a servant, he makes this offer in verse 28. He calls on them, put away the burden of striving to fulfill the Old Testament law, and instead, calls them to come to him instead. Because he fulfills the law. And through Christ, we can find peace and assurance that he gives. And he is not rejecting God's law. Notice, he doesn't say, cast off your burden and be free. He's not saying, just stop doing all these things and just go and do whatever you want. He tells them, accept his yoke. Now, the yoke is a collar, right? That's placed on an animal to help them carry loads to balance between other animals as working together. It's about something that is used to make them do work. So the yoke here is a metaphor, right? Uh, as an animal yoked under its carers, it points then to us being called to become disciples of Jesus. That is the yoke that he places on us. The burden, in that sense, of being a disciple. And as we come to Jesus as his disciples, we bear that yoke, he gives rest. Now, not physical, immediate rest, but spiritual rest that comes from the peace and the assurance that comes knowing that we are cared for by Jesus, our shepherd. So in coming to Jesus, we can lay down our burdens. We can find peace in the knowledge that he has taken those burdens upon himself. He has carried our sins to the cross. And he offers us the gift of forgiveness. He has lifted the weight of our guilt and shame and given us a new identity as God's children. And because of what Jesus accomplishes at the cross, we can have peace with God. And so that is why here Jesus can so boldly say, Come to me, I will give you rest. He is the instrument of peace and the path through which we can come to know the Father. And with that then, we move on to chapter 12. And we see in verse 1, after showing us that Jesus offers this rest, the author now changes the scene and he shows us how being a disciple of Jesus, those who have accepted the yoke, how their lives are changed from the burden of needing to fulfill the law. So these things happen on a Sabbath, which according to the law is supposed to be the day of rest for the people of Israel which means they cease from working and they focus on worshipping God, right? So their day will revolve around the temple. They will go for service. They will stop doing anything that will draw them away from God. And since this is an Old Testament law, disobeying this had serious implication. In the book of Numbers, a man was stoned to death for picking up sticks. However, here we see the disciples on a Sabbath, walking through a grain field following Jesus. Then we see in verse 1, being hungry, they plucked off some grains and ate them while walking. And the Pharisees, seeing this as an opportunity to criticize and attack Jesus, 
in verse 2, charged the disciples as having broken the Sabbath laws. Now, this is a serious allegation. But see how Jesus answers them in verse 3 to 5. Jesus points to two different incidents in the Old Testament. First, he points to how David entered the house of God during the time when he was running away from King Saul who wanted to kill him. David was persecuted and he was hungry. And so he went and ate the consecrated bread, which is the only thing he could find. Now, according to the letter of the law, this was wrong. The bread was only for the priest to eat. Yet David was not condemned for it. Secondly then, Jesus points to the fact that under the law, one should not work on the Sabbath, right? Yet the priests work in the temple on the Sabbath. And despite that, they are considered guiltless of breaking the Sabbath. Right? None of the Pharisees take up stone and want to stone the priests while they are offering service in the temple, right? So what's the point that Jesus is making here? Look at verse 7. Jesus points out what God wants from his people is for them to love, to be compassionate to one another. God desires this more than he desires offerings, rituals, and sacrifices. The purpose of the law is for the caring, for the serving of the people so that they can find rest. Therefore, it is important to obey the spirit of the law instead of merely the letter of the law. God wants his people to be people who are compassionate towards others and not people who condemn and judge others. And so in answering this, Jesus now reveals the hearts of the Pharisees and proves their accusation meaningless. In fact, we should realize that the Pharisees themselves are now condemned and judged by Jesus because they sought to condemn and judge others. David was persecuted and in need, so it was right for him to come to the temple and to find hope. The priests were working on the Sabbath, yes, but they were doing that to serve God's people who came to the temple to find comfort and solace. And so it is right for the priest to work on the Sabbath in the temple. And this is exactly what the spirit of the law leads us to. And if you know the Father as Jesus does, you will understand this. Then in verse 6, Jesus makes an even bolder declaration. Something greater than the temple is here. Now the temple points to people, to their need for salvation, to the hope that they have for the mercy of God, right? The temple is the hope for them to find rest in God. Yet, the disciples were not in the temple on the Sabbath day. They were with Jesus. And they were hungry because they had been following Jesus. And instead of going out to say, okay, Jesus, bye, I go to find food. They just ate the grain so they can continue to follow and listen to him. This is the mark of discipleship, wanting to hear what Jesus says, wanting to be with Jesus. Now, Jesus is the one who truly offers rest and freedom from sin from the people, right? 
And he is able to do this because he pays for their sin at the cross. He himself is a lamb that was sacrificed. And so we can see that as far as the function of the temple to cleanse the sin of the people, to point them to the hope, actually Jesus is the greater temple, greater than the building. Because the temple was only a shadow that points to the hope they have. But Jesus on that cross fulfills the function of the temple. And through that gives true rest and true freedom to those who come to him. And so that is why Jesus can claim that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He gives us the true Sabbath, the rest. Right? And so we move on then to the final section, verse 9 to 14. Now, having dealt with the Pharisees, Jesus then entered the synagogue. And we see in verse 10, they just happened to be a man with a withered hand there. Now, the Pharisees were probably angry with Jesus because of how Jesus not only escaped the accusation, he has exposed the evil in their hearts. And so now, they decide to create problems for Jesus in the synagogue. So they challenge Jesus. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now they'll be hoping that Jesus will be dumbfounded and won't dare to answer them. After all, they are the wise and understanding people, right? If Jesus has said it is right to heal them on the Sabbath, they can accuse him. You blasphemer, you are violating the Sabbath. Because healing is considered a work. And according to Jewish traditions, what the Pharisees held to, you can only heal if it's die, die, last resort. The person will die, ah, then only okay. Lah. Heal you enough so that you don't die. That's all. However, if Jesus says it's not right to heal on the Sabbath because he might be afraid of the Pharisees, then Jesus would be a hypocrite and the disciples will see this. So the Pharisees were happy. Lah. Either way, answer kena already, right? They thought they have trapped Jesus. But see how Jesus answers them in verse 11. He asked them a question. If their sheep fell into a pit on the Sabbath, will not one of them get in and lift out the sheep out of the pit? Now, Jesus didn't expect any of them to say that they will not lift up the sheep because according to the very rules that the that the Pharisees and the leaders of the Jewish people have set up, the, the rabbinical traditions, this is actually allowed. Right? Sheep fall can, can help take the sheep out. That's okay. So the, the point that Jesus is making here, what he's arguing is, he's saying, how much more valuable to God is the well-being of a man? Yet you are willing to save a sheep, but let a man be condemned. What's wrong with them? And so, it is well, it is good, it is lawful for Jesus to heal on the Sabbath. And saying this, Jesus healed the man in front of them. And in doing this, this shows all people that everything that Jesus has been saying so far is not just empty words. He truly has been given all authority by the Father. And the healing is a picture of him bringing this peace, this rest to that man. 
And even that, friends, is just a shadow of the true ultimate peace that he will receive when he is raised up from the dead. And now the right response when we see and hear all of these things is we take in everything Jesus has said and claimed. And as we see this, the response should be repent, come to him, bow down before him. But we see in verse 14, the Pharisees conspired together to destroy Jesus instead. So here the Pharisees are revealed they are wicked people working against God. And Jesus is revealed to be the true agent of God who brings salvation and rest. And so our passage ends and we need to ask, what can we learn from this? Firstly, be careful about the danger that we might be in our hearts like the Pharisees. We can be people who can look at the works that we do in our service to God either serving in the choir or in the welcoming, or you come early to church every week, never being late, then we look at people who do less work, who is very busy, so they're rushing in last minute into the service, who are not able to serve as often as we are. And as we look at them, we think we're something, because I can do so much more. I'm a leader. I'm more sacrificial. That's a danger. Don't judge. Don't become proud. Because those are the people from whom God has hidden the gospel. We must see that what we do stems from what Christ enables us to do as we become his disciple and we rest in him. Now, worse than being a, a Pharisee in your heart is if you take what's in that heart, the Pharisee thinking, and then you start applying it to other people. And you apply it in such a way, you must do this, do this, do this, do this, every day, make sure, 10 minutes before service, you must be here, everything you must do. And you do this in such a way then that you take the joy out of serving God from people's lives. That is even worse. So serve humbly and accept different people are at different stages of the discipleship. We should not judge people based on how they are serving. If we are disciples of Christ, our goal then is to show them mercy, compassion, and encouragement not to lay burdens on them. And so we should encourage them, come to Christ, find rest in Him, instead of saying, do this, 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 and this. Next, remember, Jesus is the only way to come to salvation. Nobody comes to the Father except through Him. And He has invited all to come to Him, to cast our burdens on Him, because only He can give rest. So have you... Come to him. Now, to those who are already his, do we really trust Jesus in how we are seeking to be right with God? Or do we naturally just revert back to our old ways of having this burden of needing to do things in order to feel that you are a Christian? Are we so burdened by our sins and failures that our response then is to try to offset it 
by doing more and more good things. I have sinned a lot today, give more money. And if you are doing that, you will become suffocated. You need to come to Jesus to be his disciple. Set your heart right so that you can find hope and peace in him. And all of this must happen before you can even consider serving God. Because if you don't, you will serve him like the Pharisees thought they were serving God. To be a disciple is to explore what it means to be in a relationship with Christ. To understand the Father's heart. To see the world as the Father sees it. And if you have come to Christ, if you have truly accepted him, you understand that your sins are paid for by him and that he loves you, that he calls you to be his disciple and to rest in him, then you will grow in your relationship in Christ. You'll find comfort and assurance and you'll focus on your relationship with God rather than your performance. And so if you are not convinced right now that you are right with God, the answer is not to do more things. It's not, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm really a good Christian or not. I'm doing so many bad things. Maybe I come earlier and serve in welcoming. Maybe I put more money. Maybe I serve the Christ. No. The answer is come to Christ and rest in Him. Remember what Christ has done for us and how through that we have access to unlimited grace, constant access to the Father. Now, there's a story of two woodcutters who got into a competition, right? So the young, actually lumberjack, the, the young lumberjack, the guy who cuts wood, thought that he is far stronger and more fit compared to the older one, so he challenged him to a contest. So both of them decided to chop wood from morning to evening to see who can chop the most wood. The young man went to cut wood like a machine. He worked without tiring and took only a short break for lunch, then he carried on. The older man took frequent breaks. But when evening arrived and they counted the amount of wood that was chopped, the older man had cut more wood than the younger man. Shocked, the younger man exclaimed, I only took a short break while you rested so many times. How could you have cut down more wood than me? Surely you must have cheated. The old man then calmly replied, Son, you saw me resting, but you didn't see that every time I rested, I sharpened my axe. So come to rest in Jesus so that he can give you that rest that sharpens you, that strengthens you, that equips you so that as you bear this yoke as his disciples and don't rely on your own strength to do things, then and only then will you be able to serve God in the right way. Jesus is that shepherd who brings you the rest that you need. So come to him and trust in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, draw us close to Christ. Help us find rest in him. 
Help us to understand what that looks like. And we pray especially for those who have become weary, who have become burdened by all the things that they're doing, that they may come back to have rest, to be encouraged by Christ. And through that then, are enabled to go out and continue serving. So have mercy in us, Father, so that even as we fail, through Christ, you will call us again and again and remind us of what that rest looks like. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.